Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. You're listening to RTE Radio 1. Drama on One is offered as a podcast at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. And of course here on RTE Radio 1 on Sunday nights. Shakespeare says that all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Jake's in As You Like It outlines the parts men play as they cycle through the seven stages and ages in their lives. Infancy, the whining schoolboy, the lover, the soldier, the justice, the lean and slippered pantaloon and eventually into second childishness. Back in 2004, RTE Drama on One invited writers Maeve Binchy, Aidan Matthews, Paula Meehan, Mannix Flynn and Patrick McCabe to respond to the seven ages of man. Tonight, we continue those reflections with John Banville's take on the lean and slippered pantaloon. Neil Tobin stars as an ageing, besotted player in A World Too Wide and is introduced now by John Banville. It struck me as a wonderful idea for a a radio series. Uh, I love working in radio anyway. And uh, I was quite glad to get the the lean and slippered pantaloon bit of uh, Jaquie's speech. I've always been fascinated by professional actors, by the acting life, the little that I've had to do with the theatre and with films. Um, I've always been greatly taken with the strange synthetic intimacy among the actors and among the the people on the set or on the stage. Uh, It lasts for the, the, the length of the run and it's incredibly intense and people are almost behave as if they were all in love with each other and then the the set is struck and people go their ways and probably never see each other again until the next production, years hence, when it'll all start up again. Uh, but I had this image in my mind of a, 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 an ageing actor who makes a fool of himself by actually falling in love with uh, the heroine of the play. I'm always greatly taken too with what actors do after the curtain has come down how they manage that adrenaline, how they get it to drain away. And I like the notion of a man sitting in his his dressing room, thinking aloud to himself, remembering, and the possibilities for pathos and melancholy, and even, dare I say it, for beauty, uh, were quite strong. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side. His youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shame. Sweetest nut hath, sourest rind, such a nut is rosalind. He that sweetest rose will find must find love's prick and rosalind. And I am sure, as many as have good beards or good faces or sweet breaths, will for my kind offer, when I make curtsy, bid me farewell. Look at this face. I'm 60 and I might be a hundred. I take off the makeup and put on 40 years. Perhaps I should wear it all day, like poor dear Michal. 
I'd look a sight strutting about the streets with the slap dripping off my dewlaps. Oh, that would make her notice me, I'm sure. <laughs> I can just see her laughing behind her hand as she does when old Adam's stammer comes on. For why would you be so fond as to overcome the bunny proposal of the, the, the humour of the, the Duke? <laughs> the groundlings think he does it deliberately. He gets the only laughs in the show. Have to admire him all the same. Imagine having a stammer like that and going for the stage. What was his mammy thinking of all those centuries ago when he was young and starting out? Don't put your daughter on the stage, Mr. Worthington. Don't put your daughter on the stage. <laughs> poor crowd tonight, what there was of it. Very poor. Sitting there like cardboard cutouts. Not that I blame them. This is not the most polished production I've ever been in. Orlando is so camp, he's under canvas. And dainty Celia is built like a brick cabinet d'essence. But it's not all our fault. Here's a blasphemy. I whisper it. <laughs> the piece itself is not bloody good. Wait. No, no bolt of lightning to strike me down. Emboldened, I say it outright, as far as as you like it is concerned, I don't. Like it, I mean. The opening is weak, the end is laughable, though not God what in a funny way. And the middle, truth be told, is no great shakes either. Ha! I did a pun. No great shakes. The trouble with his comedies, as everybody knows, but no one says, is that they're not comic. All that banter, that so-called wit. But honestly, where's the humour? And, of course, I'm the one who's supposed to have them rolling in the aisles. But look at the material I'm given to work with. The more pity that fools may not speak wisely what wise men do foolishly. Or, I had rather bear with you than bear you, yet I should bear no cross if I did bear you, for I think you have no money in your purse. I ask you. Touchstone is about as comic a character as old King Lear. Good night. Good night. See you tomorrow. Night-night. I wonder if she'll come for a drink with us again one of these nights. <laughs> she came to the Swan after the first preview. But since then she hasn't graced our wild midnight revels with her presence. The curtain is barely down and she's off. Some man, I suppose. Probably he collects her at the stage door. I keep picturing him, this Johnny. It's become a bit of an obsession with me. For some reason I see him as fair, with a blonde lock falling over one eye. A big bloke, certainly, since she's a good 5'10 herself. Rugger type, I'm sure he is. Leather jacket, trailing scarf. Extraordinary how clearly he appears in my mind, the swine. While probably he's not like that at all. And yet there he is, before my glowering green eye as large as life. He puts his big arm around her shoulders and they stroll off into the night, murmuring head to head, while I sit like a sad old toad before the mirror here in my dressing room, eating my heart out, thinking of them. He's not the husband. When I asked her if she was married, she only looked at me and said, Hardly. Hardly. What was that supposed to mean, I wonder? I watched her in the swan that night. 
She bites her nails. When she's listening to someone, she looks in her face and keeps giving little nods and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, nod, nod, mm-hmm. Wonderful profile. That Greek nose. Might be Greek, in fact. Or from some southern clime, anyway, with that dark skin and hair like pouring oil. Galway girl, the Spanish blood. <laughs> Funny thing is, she's not my type. What used to be my type. I always liked them trim and shapely, not rangy like her. No bust to speak of, and a bum like a boy's. Am I turning queer after all these years? I might as well, since everyone assumes I am already. I sidled up to her in the swan and offered to buy her a drink. Oh, so casual. <laughs> she said no, she had to be going. And that quick smile, like a hand brushing carelessly against my heart. Oh, Rosalind. Another night's hard labour done with. Oh, I used to love this moment, just after coming off. Feeling nicely weary, the adrenaline draining away, the smell of my own sweat drying, the coziness in the dressing room. Never cared what kind of a kip I was in next door to the lavatory or whatever. My things laid out, rabbit's paw. The musical steel bowl someone bought for me in Arles, the tattered Arden edition, with my scribbled notes. Hmm. Three times I've played Touchstone. Still hate the part. I'm surprised they cast me, this time, at my age. <laughs> and here I am, in love, like a swooning boy, in the pit of love. I'm blushing. Look, I can see it in the glass. What a farce. I wonder if I'm any good as an actor. A fine stage of my so-called career I'm at to be asking myself that. Ha-ha, <laughs> another pun there, stage of my career, get it? <laughs> Impossible to judge your own talent, of course. The critics, the critics <laughs> are no help. I got one mention, this one, one solitary mention. Where is it? I have it here somewhere. Ah, yes. The somewhat lethargic touchstone declaimed his lines with old-fashioned resonance. Old-fashioned resonance, what's that when it's at home? But nevertheless managed to throw away most of his comic lines. Thanks very much. What comic lines, I'd like to know. Do I declaim? I was trained in the old school. I can't help that. Hey, fiddle-dee-dee, your nectar's life for me. <laughs> Love the work, though. Maybe too much. It's my home, this little round, my life. Pathetic. Yet I've played Hamlet, must remember that. I was an upcoming lad, an ascendant star, yes. I, too, was once adored. I wonder what happened. 
She's one of those actors who don't meet your eye. On stage, that is. Or she does, rather, but doesn't see you. She's looking into herself, watching herself. Not a natural, that's obvious. I can feel the tension, can almost see it. It comes off her in waves. That night when she snagged her heel in the hem of her costume and stumbled and I caught her wrist, it was like catching hold of an electric cable, the fizz in it, the fire. She wasn't a bit pleased that I was the one to save her from going down. Gave me a slithery sort of glance and said something under her breath. Doesn't like to be touched. Or not by me, anyway, my old paw on her young arm. I should recite Adam's line to her. Though I look old, yet I am strong. Though I look old, yet I am strong and lusty. (laughs) I will give her a laugh. In fact, she's not in the first bloom herself. Thirty-five she's a day. That still makes me the older of the two of us by a quarter of a century. Why did I never marry? Good God, where did that come from? Marry, sir, why should I marry? I haven't done badly in my time. When I was young, I had girls, could have had more. They were mine for the asking. There was never one I wanted to stay with, though. I used them up too quickly, that's the fact of it. I don't notice other people very much. I mean, not with sufficient attention. That's why noticing her and, oh, what noticing, has been such a shock for me. It wasn't love at first sight. She'd been about for years. After all, I saw her play Peggy Mike and Hedda, I think, or was it Nora in a doll's house, and the mad woman in that awful thing by what's-his-name, and I was never particularly struck. Being in the same show with her, that's what did it. That's what worked this misfortunate magic on me. Seeing her striding about there in front of the scenery, vivid and real in the midst of so much mere flummery, the flashing eyes and dashing wit, even if the wit is not her own, mistress of the action and sometimes master too. Dear Lord, but she looks a treat in trousers. I fell for her. And fell is the word. A few years ago I took a bad tumble in the street myself, purely accidentally. Don't know what came over me, I wasn't drunk or sick, but down I went like a bag of bricks and banged my forehead on the pavement. I could feel myself falling, the dreamy slowness of it, the almost the almost voluptuous swooning way that I pitched forward, as if the air around me had become lighter and at the same time more dense than air, something like the atmosphere of the moon. Yes, the moon. It was the same with her. When I watched her from the wings, walking on that first night, making her entrance, that same sense of helpless, slow-motion toppling, Dear Celia, I show more mirth than I am mistress of, and would you yet I were merrier? I had heard her say these lines, I don't know how many times, in the read-through, in rehearsal, in previews, but somehow it was only then that I heard her. 
Only then that I saw her, and I was overwhelmed. First night, I say it, <laughs> and how the words mock me. There will be no first night with her for me, ever. That's the awful thing about getting old. The certain knowledge that some things simply will not be. I feel mortified. What a fool I am! What a fond old fool! I don't know how it happened. I'm not even sure what it was that happened, or even that it did happen. For it's possible I imagined it, although I don't think so. The smart is too sharp, the blush too burning. It started so well. We all have them; those nights, rare and fine, when everything seems to flow wonderfully, when the stuff comes out like silk, like a long trail of silk out of your mouth, every line a polished thread. I couldn't put a foot wrong, a word wrong, at first, anyway. Act one, scene two, our first exchange. She's there. Celia's there. I enter. Usually I trudge on, being the dullard fool, so that my wit will shine the brighter. At least that's the director's intention. His nibs don't get me started on him. But tonight, without any thought, I fairly leapt into the middle of the action. I, to Celia, Mistress, you must come away Mistress, to your father. You must come away to your father, Celia. Were you made the messenger? Were you made the messenger? I know, by my honour, but... and so on. Then she, fair Rosalind... Where learned you that Where learned you that oath, fool? Then I go into my shtick. Of a certain night that were by his honour... Of honor. a certain night that wore by his honour, blah, blah, blah. But wait, let me paint the scene more sharply, so I might understand it better. Or just understand it. There I am, all swagger and glide, doing that thing with my hands, that elegant flourish that I invented for myself, and that his nibs hates. An ill-favoured thing, sir, but mine own. And she's downstage right, posed in the way she does. A hand on her hip, her left foot forward, head thrown back, hair flowing on her shoulders, my magnificent maid. Big fat Celia is centre stage somewhere, stumping about. We ignore her, practically. It's Rosalind and me, all eyes on us. I'm sure of it. Even when Lebeau enters, no one takes much notice. I do the line. Or as the destinies decrees. Or as the destinies decrees. And Celia, quickly. Well, well said. That was laid on with a trowel, to which I say... Nay, if I keep not nay, my rank. Nay, if I keep not my rank. And then... And then I'm not sure what happened. Still with hand on hip, that lovely knee and slender foot thrust out, she throws her head back further still, and I can see the blacks of her nostrils, and looks at me, down the length of that noble nose of hers, and fairly spits it out. Thou losest thy old smell. Thou losest thy old smell. Such contempt, 
especially on the word smell. Smell. Yet it wasn't the words, it was the tone. Lebeau twitched like a startled rabbit, and Celia gaped from her to me and to her again, her little mouth open in shock. The audience, the majority of whom I know hadn't the foggiest what the exchange was supposed to be about, gave a great laugh, a roar such as we haven't heard yet, and I hope won't hear again. But even in that laughter there was a hesitation, an uncertainty, as if I had taken a pratfall so convincing that there were those amongst them wondering if I mightn't be acting at all but having a real heart attack. What provoked her to such a bitter tone? So contemptuous a look. Did she think I was trying to upstage her? Or was she doing some variation of her own part as I was doing of mine and not paying attention to me at all? At any rate, the rest of the night for me passed in a haze of shame and bafflement. The lines that had been silk now fell from my trembling lips like strips of lead piping. I couldn't wait for the thing to end. My heart shriveled to the size of a nut. What am I to think? What am I to tell myself? How am I to account for such a violent blow? What compress can I apply to the bruise? Can't say what a dolt I think myself. Really, what a dolt. The show closes at the end of the week, so we heard tonight. No one surprised. No one very regretful either. No one except me, that is. I'll never get so close to her again, if you can call this close. When I sit here like this for long enough, my mind wanders. I drift into a sort of trance. It's like that state before going to sleep at night or in the morning between sleeping and waking up. Strangest thoughts occur to me. I don't know if they can even be called thoughts, fantasies more like, amazing some of them. All sorts of people appear, people I've never seen before, doing inexplicable things. How could I have been so stupid not to see, not to realise? We that are true lovers run into strange capers. <laughs> We've had our final night. Our last curtain. They've all gone off to the swan. Her included. I said I'd come along later, but I won't. Too ashamed to show my face. How could I not have realised? I was right about the lover, anyway. 
tall, fair-haired, handsome, even has a leather jacket. Hardly a rugby player, though. Hardly. Hardly. The fool. Are you married? The heroine. Hardly. <laughs> I think it was the smell of her that went to my head. She was on the way down to the dressing rooms and had stopped at the turn of the steps when I came up behind and almost bumped into her. She was standing with a hand on the rail, leaning down and doing something to her shoe. It wasn't the smell of grease paint or sweat, but of her, herself, her, I don't know, her essence. I suppose even an old bird like me is still programmed to pick up the, what do you call it, the, the pheromones? She sensed me behind her and turned. I was probably giving off a sound as she was giving off a smell, the old rusty dynamo inside me humming and clanking. She looked startled, even a bit alarmed. Well, I was very close to her, looming over her there on the steps. We both said something at the same time and laughed and stopped for a second. I could hear her breathing she was still a bit breathless from running in after the final bow. I caught the smell of her again, milk and vinegar. Then I made a grab at her. Oh, God, how many actions most ridiculous hast thou been drawn to by thy fantasy? I didn't mean it to be a grab. I tried to do it in such a way that at the last moment, the very last instant, I could, if necessary, turn it into what was no more than a polite offer of an arm to lean on. The human hand, however, especially the male variety, has a mind of its own. Women's flesh is always much harder to the touch than one expects. Or than I expect, anyway. Not harder, that's not it. It's more resistant. It's not even the flesh itself, I suppose, but the things they wear, the armour plating they put on. Brittle, that's the word I want. I still remember the first time I got to put my hand on a girl's leg in the back row of the palace picture house one Christmas time, when I was fifteen or so. I expected something soft and giving. What I got was the raspiness of nylon. Exciting, and yet a letdown. When I grabbed her there on the steps, it was not how I felt, but the stuff of her dress. Brittle again, almost metallic. She looked at me for a second in amazement, <laughs> then laughed. Yes, laughed. A scream I could have put up with, a slap in the face, even a knee in the crotch. What a laugh! Her lover's name is Lucy, Bing and Butch. She introduced her to everyone, except me. Not that she was angry at me, after the grapple on the steps. Only, she had that look that told me She'd laugh again if she met my eye. 
extraordinary quiet. Nothing so silent as an empty theatre. I could be alone in the world, a world too wide for my shrunk shank. Hey-ho, sing hey-ho, unto the green holly. Most friendship is feigning, most loving mere folly. Then hey-ho, the holly, this life is most jolly. That was Neil Tobin in A World Too Wide by John Banville. The producer was Catherine Brennan. Next week, we conclude our series on the seven ages of man, Le Drama Goilge. Klushimid Eamon Kelly, a Kahavsul Shear, er second childishness. Drama on One. Sundays at 8 pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.